Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is a good friend of ours and a very well-known entity in the fintech world, Spiros Magaris. Welcome to the show today, Spiros. And finally... Theo uh, and Brad, I'm very excited to be on your show. And Just secretly, you're thinking, why on earth did it take you guys so long? No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But... Uh, you're two of my favorite guys, and um, yeah, I must say, I know I use the word people I like a lot, and the space for 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 many reasons, for many reasons. That's Eric, just pulling you like. So, for most of our listeners, Spiros does not need an introduction. You're a VC, a speaker, an advisor, very, very active and well known in the space. And actually, that was how you and I met the first time was on. Twitter. So I'll ask you this, instead of us introducing you, if you were to use one word to describe yourself, what would that be? I think it would be coach. Okay. Yes. Uh, I think uh, that's if one word that would be it. Because I mean, when I talk to my startups, I mean, it's not always the same. Uh, but the uh, the ones where I have more impact, I'm more like a coach, basically like a sounding board, uh, and and uh, letting giving them my experiences, and I don't expect them to take them always or, or at all, but uh, like more like a coach, you know. I think that's uh, I and I actually for new mandates I take on as investor or advisor, usually the same thing. Uh, I. I try to to make me label as coach, not advisor. Does it sound weird? No, but like tell us tell us a little bit more about some of the the, the coaching that you do. Like, what kind of companies do you work with? Yes, of course. Uh, I work for the biggest insure tech company in Europe, Refox. Uh, I work for. I'm a board member of STC Pay, which just became a unicorn in Saudi Arabia. I'm a venture, a venture part for SparkLab Spark groups where we advise uh, a big insurtech company in China uh, in the accelerator program. And uh, where and, uh, I work for Canopy, which is a real estate company. I work for many companies, Omedia Stalker AI, which protects uh, intellectual property in the media space. And uh, I don't want to miss out on any, but uh, when I talk about coaching, it's more like when you talk to the founders and, and you put them back on track because sometimes they're too uh, enthusiastic and they say, oh, we want to do this, we want to do that. And they say, hey, you have to stay focused, you know, like, you know, I, and then I give them examples uh, of successful companies that stayed focused. To be successful, and with time, uh, the people, all of a sudden, the founders, when they give interviews, they talk about focus as an example. And the coach is like a sounding board. I mean, they do the work, but uh, but you're there to just say, "Have you thought of that? And why ha haven't you thought of this?" And th I think that's a better thing to 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 try to be. I think, I mean, people don't associate coach with our business, but uh, I think uh, since I talk mostly only with the founders, I think it's a good, it's a good way to describe uh, what I want to be, what, what I, what I try to be. 
Does that make sense? It's yeah, the first I mean, time I used that word in a podcast. Think about, you know, so, so coaching comes from somewhere. Coaching comes from experience, right? And you, yeah. you've, done, you've done a lot of things, you know, earlier in your career that most people I don't think really would know about. You were a founder. You worked in private banking. Talk about, you know, how that experience shapes what you do now. And how does it shape the viewpoint that you have in the world today that you're able to be a coach? Talk about your earlier years. Of course, of course. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, I come from asset management, like portfolio management, hedge fund industry. And during my time, even dot-com crash, I was part of it. I had a startup uh, called Cool Question, which basically uh, it was ahead of its time because it, it, it envisioned to pay for expertise on the internet. So basically, you would say, oh, I have this issue. And then you ask maybe an accountant or a doctor or someone, and based on his rating, you would pay. But that was much too early. But we had big billboards, everything in New York. But those failures, you know, uh, you know, and the consequences of those failures made me a better investor and better a coach to startups. And, you know, it's like, like Steve Jobs said, you know, you have to connect the dots. It doesn't have to be all about business. You know, it's like, uh, uh, Theo knows, I, I did a lot of art uh, photography in my 20s. And uh, even that I draw in when I do presentations, it's like, it's a life experience of lots of failures and getting up, you know, getting out of that hole you, you fell in. And, and of course, with success, always, whatever you do, with, when you're a little bit successful, that gives you the confidence to, to, to share that knowledge to others. But it's, it's this combination, I think it's mostly about failures than success. What I'm saying here is nothing new, but I can, I can, I think uh, the, the dots I, I collected in my life, experience dots from a hedge fund, a startup world, uh, uh, being an artist in my young years. I think all this uh, shaped, uh, shaped uh, my views on the world, or my views on things, you know? It's like, uh, even the thing, the focus, you know, when our team play, you know, you hear about team playing. Uh, when you're very young, you think it's a management talk. But when you're getting older, you realize you can't do it yourself. It, it takes a lot of good people to work together and want to work together. And I think that's, you know, that's the key to success. And, and luck. I mean, I'm a big believer in luck. I mean, I, I can't force luck upon me, but I believe uh, a lot of things are about luck. People you get to know uh, a lot of things, but you have to take advantage with hard work. I mean, and my view, if I look at startups, uh, I, I look at it's like an investment, not investment in terms of money, but like when I looked at stocks, what's the story? What's the attraction? Uh, why should they be successful? What's the competition? So that's my hedge fund part. But then my experience is if I hear a CEO or founder to be too crazy about his ideas. I mean, not about the one idea, but too many ideas. And I think, oh my God, the guy diversified his energy. So it's less likely he's going to be successful. But, you know, at the end, I adjust my opinions constantly. Like uh, the economist Keynes says, you know, if somebody roughly said it, if somebody convinces me with facts I'm wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? I think I change my mind constantly. 
not because I'm insecure, contrary, but because I'm as insecure as it's good to be successful, I think, because basically you're insecure say, I could be wrong. Okay, let's validate my view with, with the new facts. Because if you, if you don't validate constantly, you know, I believe success, not only success, life is about small steps. It's not, oh, I'm successful. It's like little up, little down, maybe it goes a little more down, little up again. And, and also information you draw, I think it's, uh, that's about it. I mean, I watched very quickly, maybe would bore people, but I love to watch biographies uh, of people. And then you see, you know, most of the time you remember only, oh, they were successful. But if you see a lifespan of a person, you see many aspects, moments where you think, oh, my God, how, how would this guy or this woman get up again? But they do. So this kind of experience, I think, comes with age, I guess. I think I will talk more like this when I'm much older. <laughs> but, you know, I, all this, what I'm saying now, it's what flows into my judgment. You know, I don't try to sell. It's just, you know, even if the people don't believe what I say, it's okay. But at least I'm convinced what I'm saying might be true. I think I'm learning a whole lot more about you, Spiros, the last 10 minutes than I knew from the last three years. That is interesting. We should have done Okay, this. we're going to cut the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, no, 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 no. Next time we're going to do this in person and, you know, with, with okay. alcohol and see what else will come out. But no. um, this is interesting, though. I, I, you, you brought up a few things that I absolutely relate to. Um, focus. The word focus. Whenever I think about you, it's, it's focus. And I remember the first time I came across your content on social media and I'm like, oh my God, this, this account just keeps sending out stuff. Either that person is a bot or that person just does not sleep. Um, and I still don't know which one is true. I mean, other than the fact that I did meet you in person, so I could validate you were not a bot. But um, I always wonder how you manage to keep it up. And, and you do a lot of things. And over the years, I've come to rely on your feed. Um, as one of my news source, if you will, um, for AI and FinTech. And for those of you who do not follow Spiros, first of all, go do that right now. And also follow him on Instagram. He has really interesting photographs on there. Um, it's not business related. <laughs> it's not, but it's okay. But like you say, right, everything adds in to you as a person, um, connect the dots, your experience and, and all of that. And you do... Um, make it fun, even on Twitter with some of these songs and movies and, and all of that. And we always talk about it. I am curious, though, um, we all have our story on, on why we came on social media. What was yours? You know, um, should I go personal? Yeah, it should be personal because, you know, it's the only thing that's worth listening to, actually. You know, even if it's, you know, just quickly, I to go back why I'm so social. I was raised, I was very alone as a child because my parents worked shifts. So I grew up basically unsupervised, not because of it. Nowadays it would be bad parents, but they're not bad parents, they just worked hard. So when I saw people who had uh, families who had kids, I thought, my God, it's be great because they can play with each other, you know, and I don't have anyone to play. So I became very social. I, my social skills 
became very strong because I wanted to gain those friendships it, because because I realized how valuable it is to have their time, attention. And I appreciate it because I was very lonely. But I mean, that made me who I am. So I appreciate friendships a lot. I mean, you know a little bit, you both, but I really truly appreciate it. And uh, I, it's very precious. And when, uh, why I became such a Twitter fan was because I'm a movie buff as well. So I watched the movie Chef. You know, I don't know if you watched the movie Chef, you know, and the little kid, the son of this uh, uh, restaurant owner, not a cook, he tweeted to to make, uh, to show where they go with their caravan to, to sell the food. Watching this, that's, that's very spurious. I watched it and I opened the account right away afterwards. That was the moment I opened my Twitter account because I thought, it's very powerful. Not knowing where it will lead me. I mean, I remember that I told my wife, we have a thousand followers. I will stop. It's the highlight if I ever reach this. Wow. But, you know what I did it. after the movie? I went, I went to get a sandwich because I was hungry after that one. <laughs> but it was, it was a cool movie. I didn't know that. That was what inspired you to get on social. Yes, and uh, it, but it, it enhances my my demand, my my desire to be social, and and then it grows some, to something bigger than we can't envision. A lot of things in life grow to something we didn't envision before, at least not me, you know. But I remember when I said thousand followers, my God, I have to stop. This must be magic. It's not that thousand is not magic, but I just the mindset, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know. Please, please criticize me. It's okay. You're friends. You can say anything. Well, now you have 105,000 friends, so, uh, and growing. Sure. <laughs> no, and, and, and I think I remember the first, you know, early days, I, I was like following all these like Apple and technology people. And then, you know, this guy that I was following who like seemed to know everything about everything in terms of what Apple was going to do next. I like like commented back to him and he responded and I was like, Oh wow, this guy, this Apple technology guy responded to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so cool. And like, you know, 10 years later. Um, so let's, let's go from, from being social to, <clears throat> you know, how we're not social this year, which is because of this pandemic and because of this lockdown and COVID-19. And before we started, you know, we, we talked about how, you know, we're all good and we're all healthy. We kind of caught up that way. And, it's it's yes. you know, life life has gone on and yet it hasn't. Um, so let's talk about our work and your work in terms of funding and startups and the rest. A lot of people thought, you know, when when the pandemic hit, that business and you know life in general would change and slow down. But in some ways, funding hasn't right, and the work that you've done with startups hasn't changed. It, if anything, in some places, especially in fintech, there's been even more activity. Yes, uh, I agree. But but where where is it going? I mean, is it is it going to continue? Has it continued this despite of COVID? Um, where it's going to continue? I mean, uh, I believe uh, I said this before. I think uh, I think uh, for sure that the love, the venture fund love, is not as spreading as it used to be. You know, it's like basically. 
it's there. There's still big numbers, but fewer, fewer fintechs get that kind of law. What I mean is like either those venture funds or those big investors are already invested in some startups and they throw big money like on, uh, to Stripe, wherever, and that distorts the picture of the broad love of fintech. I mean, we should have like a measurement, how much do smaller fintechs get? You know, I think that kind of love is tougher to get. Love standing for money in terms of uh, the attention those venture capitalists give those smaller startups. In some ways, it, the COVID helped some startups uh, to, to gain customers, obviously, challenger banks, etc., because people couldn't go out, and all of a sudden, this was a, a venue to, to get the bank account, etc., if you didn't have one, the younger ones. But uh, on the other hand, it also, if, if you didn't manage your money well, and the burn rate was so high, I think it brought them in a difficult situation now, because all of a sudden, some deals didn't, won't happen or not as favorable. So, We've seen that, you know, I'm not saying anything you guys don't know because we are all very much involved in this space. The digital transformation accelerated, obviously, because you were forced to grandparents, if they wanted to see their grandchildren, they had to all of a sudden use FaceTime or Zoom or whatever they had to use. And all of a sudden they learned to do it. So in that way, it accelerated adoption of, uh, of technology or all of a sudden home office is not an issue anymore as it used to be before. And uh, so technology, it was like an acceleration. I think next year, I think even if this third wave would happen, hopefully not with the vaccine, but I'm not the expert as expert as anyone else, or even less, I think this acceleration will slow down again because this kind of, we did a lot of things in a short time. I think maybe we will see more consolidation in our space. And I, I believe in that. And you know, like challenger banks don't excite me anymore. It's a little bit like robot advisors. You know, remember days where robot advisor was really the thing. And all of a sudden, when other people jumped on it, it didn't excite me. Which it's a good sense if it doesn't excite us three, that maybe the story is behind us. Same thing with challenger banks. I think the ones who are very big, yes, maybe, but uh, some of them wish they would have been bought before. Because all of a sudden, people don't, it's not anymore such an urgency to buy such an entity. Maybe it's better to build it yourself or whatever, or buy cheaper. I'm just, this, maybe many challenge banks will hate me and say you're an idiot, but I sense, I sense a little bit this is challenger bank thing is, uh, you know, this playing field is getting crowded, you know. I, what do you guys think, if I may ask? Brad Taylor, what do you think about that theory? Is it early? I think I think even if you have a couple million customers and you're a challenger bank and you don't have a path to profitability, you know, seeing ten years from now you still being an entity uh, in the space, it's it's challenging to me because you know coming from a bank that had about 130 to 140 million customers and still having challenges on profitability, um, it's tough. It's a tough business, and so I think that banks have to change and. You know, frankly, challenger banks are going to have to change with it. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, Revolut, I mean, I have no equity, I'm afraid. 
but uh, I use Revolut because it's it's uh, you know, uh, but uh, it's such a clear benefit you know I exchange for Europeans to exchange at zero costs uh, currencies. It's so clear. I don't have to think about many things. I don't go to that address to do many other things. Me, you know, and I think uh, many challenger banks want to be too many things, you know, and. But I don't want to criticize challenger banks per se. I mean, they've done a great job putting fintech on the map. I mean, they are part of the story why we talk about fintech. But I think they have to up their games. It's not good enough anymore just to do things a little bit better, a little more nice design than the incumbents. You have to up your game. It's like, hey, bring me something that's, you know, this iPod with thousand songs, you know. We're still at that stage, but they're not even at that stage yet. They're the Arcos. There was this French company that was a great MP3 player, but it was like a huge thing. And so the iPod was a great stuff, you know, and, but uh, I think that that's the thing that people should think about it when they have a startup. Are we good enough? Are we paranoid enough? Are we, you know, those are the things. But, but you know, the Walkman was great too. <laughs> Sorry? The Walkman was great too, and then the iPod well, the was Walkman great, and then, and then we moved, and now we're streaming. And you know, I think eventually we'll probably just be having music float into our head, which is, you know, in some ways it's matching the melody that is likely in ours anyway. So it's all good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was magic. The Walkman was magic. The yellow one, you know, it was empowering. I mean, when you ski or do sports, I mean, people don't even remember. It was like. <laughs> You were like in a film role. You were something doing something different, you yeah. know. But people would say, "My God, this old guy! What is he talking about?" <laughs> no, but I, I think you're right, though, because you know what what the, a lot of the fintech startups have done is they've put that attention on the map, so people are paying attention. And now what? Right? You need to be more than just how you've been for the last few years. You need to do something more purposeful. That's what we always talk about. It's, it's not good enough that you make the UI pretty. So what? Right? It's not good enough that now you come up with like what? Credit cards made of wood. So it's more sustainable. What else? Right? That That's not exciting anymore. Um, you know, and sorry. Sorry. No, Theo, sorry. Go ahead. The fact that Stripe is so successful proves the point like with uh, it's better to sell the shuffle than to look for gold. You know, and Stripe selling shuffle to en enable those gold diggers, which is good. But the, you know, the fact that this is successful shows me that uh, basically it's more about selling shuffles. Like we knew, I mean, you can hit the uh, the ball uh, the ball out of ballpark, but it's hard. He just gave us the quote of the day, <laughs> but um, so let's let's go let's go to something that we have heard you talk about with our mutual friend Simon Cocking and his um, recording with with you. It's interesting. It's very Spiros like. Um, you said, "I don't fall in love with things, but I fall in love with people." What does yes. that mean? What were you trying to say? Are you talking about people's ideas? Because I remember you had talked about something similar with regards to startups. When you look at startups, you look at it, but you don't look at it so deep. Yes, uh, I, I repeat this often, and I'm glad I can clarify it here again, because uh, 
um, hearing it now, it's, it can, you know, it's, it needs clarification. What it is, is I fall in love with people, obviously. You know, you like somebody or not, uh, it helps. Uh, I fall in love with the ideas and the execution of the idea, you know. And I don't want to fall, I don't want to, when I say I don't want to dig too deep at the beginning, it's because it's like you study something and then you, you spend so much time studying it, you know, a business concept or whatever. It's like you, you, you force yourself loving it because you spend too much time on it. But I think, I think at the end customer, you should, you should entice the end customers by looking at your solution that it's a great solution. That doesn't even need selling, you know, like Apple, going back to Apple, I don't, I'm not excited about Apple now anymore, but in the old days, there were people who talked about Apple, they weren't shareholders, they were just raving about it because they loved it. And I think uh, startups should have this where people understand it, it's clear, the benefit, the use case, uh, how to use it, it's clear to me and I want to be part of it. And and then if there's people also visionaries, I mean, in a good way, I mean, there are all kinds of visionaries. Uh, and also good executors of their vision. I, that's what I fall in love. It's fascinating. You know, you, when you get sometimes goosebumps and you listen to somebody, you know, not because he wants to sell you something, because he, he dreams of something that you think, oh, that's exciting. And it shows you that he's on the right track. And say, oh, my God, how can I be part of that story? There's no surprise that you always see if you like Zuckerberg or not, Steve Jobs or not. It's people representing those companies because oh, Tess, Elon Musk, we don't, we're not interested in the technology. The technology is like something we use. I don't fall in love with it. You know, I mean, I can fall in love with some dull Snoopy or Charlie Brown, but I have an association with that and I have some clear feelings. But with technology, you need people. We're still humans and we like to have a person like being in charge even if it's not the case, but just feeling, you know, there's some accountability, you know. We're not there yet, at least I mean not, to, to, uh, to start adoring Facebook or something. I mean, I'm just, although I'm critical of Facebook, but nevertheless, you know, what's behind it. I, we like people. That's why people adore Steve Jobs, although maybe it was an asshole, but it, it, with all his achievements. But there was a human standing for something you know for the design for the vision and that's why i like you know so let's let's talk a little bit about the goosebumps then and and think about you know banking which is very much not necessarily associated with love of any kind at the time um, what what gives you goosebumps about banking? Uh, thinking about you know the next deck. I think uh, I don't get goosebumps when I think about banking, which uh, you know I haven't seen any startup in banking that gives me goosebumps. But doesn't mean it doesn't exist. To be fair, that just too many startups out there. But what I envision uh, of banking, it's going to be like breathing. You know, we breathe. We breathe now as we speak. I don't think about breathing, but we do. And banking will be like breathing. We, it's going to be done for us. We're going to think about it, you know, basically. Maybe, uh, you know, it's, and it's just going to be around us, but we're not going to think about mortgages or whatever, because it's going to be done in a way that 
people AI will recommend it to you and say, hey, save this, don't buy this coffee, for instance. I mean, just simplifying it. And uh, or you can't buy this and we save up because you would like to have a home one day and we can afford it because we know your taste or whatever. It's just it's it's not going to be conscious anymore because everyone's going to do it. The tech giants, the fintech, the banks, it's just going to be around us. But I think that's what I envision. It's like breathing. I don't want to think about bank. I don't want to think about finances. You know, it will make us also stupid. Like everything that helps us makes us stupid. You know, AI makes us stupid. You know, basically, I used to be good at uh, calculating my head. Now I have to try. <laughs> I remember I used to ride a bicycle, so kind of this. But I think it, it like we're going to a direction where things just gonna happen, you know, and we're not gonna think about it, you know. Now the the friction is gonna go away, but I don't think it's a good thing. It might be good, uh, in the end. It's like this movie. Remember this uh, Disney movie? Wally. Yes, exactly. I think we're gonna have a Wally moment. Of banking, and that wasn't good, no. Although no, it was a good story. You're right. No, no, no. I I use that often. Um, actually, I just watched it with my kids uh, over over the holidays, and and it it was interesting. If you think about it, the movie has been around for for quite a little while, right? But it describes a future where we are so dependent on technology that we forgot to do things ourselves. And and like you, um, I noticed that I don't remember phone numbers anymore. Remember growing up, we used to memorize yes. people's phone numbers, and now I remember my house number, my cell phone, and that's pretty much it. I don't remember anything else because we are dependent on this little phone that we carry with us that will remind us of everything, reminds us of our meetings. If I don't exactly. get a reminder, I forget. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it, it, it's almost like um, uh, when we swing too far, we're going to have to swing back a little. I remember you had mentioned that um, you do carry cash around for one of those reasons is, you know, we can always depend on. Oh, yes. Right. People want to go cashless. But, you know, we had COVID. Nobody ever envisioned that we will wear masks always outside and, and then. Envision we have no electricity. How are you going to go and get milk for your kids? What are they going to pay? I mean, and people say electricity will be always there. Hey, not necessarily. So, I mean, you know, we become so dependent. And the, the other thing, people who think Spiros is really crazy thinking, we're not going to think about banking. Because we assume that the desires we have now of buying a home, of working, will be still there. But imagine... Imagine universal basic income, which I'm a huge proponent for it. So we don't think about work anymore. Imagine we all have a home. I'm just overdo it to get to the point. So you don't think about mortgage anymore. All of a sudden, it's like Spiros, that's your home. Spiros, that's your job. You know, one day. And so therefore, you're not going to think about banking anymore. It's just that's what you have. And it's good. You know, I mean, at the, Every good thing has a lot of bad uh, aspects, but I'm just saying cashless society, I think it's a very bad thing, very bad thing, uh, because there will be a moment we will be happy to have cash again, you know, uh, you know it's for privacy reasons, for many reasons, you know, and 
And we sometimes we we all at least we're guilty of uh, envision a future without thinking of the true consequences because you know because we take things for granted. That is a very true. I do agree with that, and I actually still do use cash as much as I love Apple Pay. Um, I, I think it's just my upbringing. I'm always brought up that you need to have some cash around. That's how my parents always taught me, and.、Uh, The little tooth fairy at home. We still give cash to the kids, and、um, you know, I don't know what the future will hold, but、um, we we do need we need to、um, as much as we all love technology, we do need to to think about the consequences, right? Things that could happen that we just don't know.、Um, so we need to we need to think about that, and that, my friend, is a wonderful. Way of ending our podcast as much as I would love to keep going, but you give us a few food of thoughts. So thank you so much, Spiros, for joining us today, and thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. I'll talk to you next week.